Good morning, everybody. It's Kevin Stevenson, and you're with me on I Don't Care on Market Scale Radio. Uh, if you're listening to this quote unquote live, it's uh, Friday morning, uh, 9.30 a.m. Central Time. Uh, it's the Friday before Thanksgiving. So, uh, you know, I, I just want to say I'm thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for those of you who have uh, stuck with me over this last uh, year plus. Uh, uh, while I've been uh, feeling my way around the podcasting world, and uh, you know, as we've gone into the video podcasting, uh, I'm sure you've enjoyed my change in facial hair. I trust me. As soon as No Shave November is over, I'm done. My wife hates it, and it's a little bit too itchy for me. But anyway, so again, glad you're here, and uh, wanted to introduce today's guest to you. His name is Oliver Essman. He's a managing partner with Strawn Arnold and Associates, and they're an executive search firm that focuses on life sciences. And so they do a lot in pharma and biotech, medical devices, uh, generics, uh, which I've had a little bit of experience with uh, earlier in my career. And so Oliver, welcome to I Don't Care. Thank you, it's great to be here, Kevin. Glad you're with us. Hey, tell us a little bit about Strawn Arnold and Associates. So we are a uh, boutique executive search firm. We only work in the life sciences. And as you said, we do generics, biotech, specialty pharma, medical device. We have a very large medical device practice mm -hmm. and some IT healthcare services. And we work with mid-sized firms for the most part, and we do everything from C-suite, CFOs, CEOs, to technical, uh, commercial, manufacturing kind of roles. And uh, we've been around since 1975. There are, okay. We're based in Austin, Texas. Oh, excellent. And we have, we have uh, people all around the country. Okay, great. How long have you been with them? 15 years. No it's the longest I've been. Yeah, I was with Novartis as their head of HR for their Sandoz business yeah. and I I wanted to I like recruitment and I like the independence of it and so I left 15 years left corporate 15 years ago and best decision I've I've ever made good for you yeah you know I I've found that uh, as long as you're happy doing what you're doing it's not work so uh, that's yeah. always that sounds a great thing well on good days when clients and candidates cooperate it's not work on bad days when they don't, all recruiters have horror stories. It's a nightmare. You know, okay. And I'll, I'll let you I'll let you go ahead and put that out there, Oliver. But I'm yeah. telling you as a past candidate, I've got some horror stories about some recruiters too. So everybody you know, does. Absolutely. <laughs> well, hey, you know, uh, again, thanks for being on. Uh, you know, we're in, I'm just gonna say month 11 of, of COVID uh, 2020. Um, it has been really interesting how all of the all of our industries have pivoted uh, to a primarily a virtual environment, and I know recruiting and hiring is no different. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about how it's how it's changed in your world over the last year, and what do you think is going to come out of this going forward? So, prior to March of 2020. We all did the get on the airplane, meet people at Starbucks. Face-to-face uh, -face recruitment was the vast majority of, of, of uh, recruiting people unless they were in China and the company didn't want to spend the money. Now it is 95% uh, 
virtual. I spend my life on Teams and Zoom and FaceTime. Uh, and people are adapting to it. Uh, you know, I think before people were worried that they were missing something on a virtual interview, mm -hmm. missing the missing the personality, not getting all the information. Were you really getting a true sense of the of the candidate? And that's just people have gotten more comfortable with doing things virtually. And I think people are pretty comfortable with it, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's here to stay in one form or another. Yeah, I, I would think so too, just because we've gotten so comfortable with it so quickly. And as you said, it, it is so cost effective uh, oh, for, for everyone. Remarkably. I mean, I have not been on an airplane since March. It's hmm. just, you know, it's re remar remarkable. You know, yeah. I talked to three of my partners today just for this getting ready for this podcast. I said, well, well, how is remote, how is, how is virtual interviewing gone for you? And one guy who spends most of his time with CEO candidates says that, you know, it's different geographically in Northern California and the East coast, there are almost no face-to-face -face interviews hmm. for roles as high as CEOs. Whereas in other parts of the country where, you know, where either the, the virus isn't as big a deal or where there's just a different sense of it, final interviews are still about dinner, a handshake, and a drink. Mm -hmm. But that is becoming less and less uh, until, you know, until we, have, until we have a vaccine. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and like I said, I've been a candidate numerous times and uh, just... Yeah, that, that personal connection was always key for me. Uh, that's yeah. what I always enjoyed. And I know as, a, as someone who does a lot of hiring, uh, the same thing I like to, I like to see somebody in person. But again, I've had to adapt. Today, I had a, I had a great virtual interview with a candidate. And, uh, you know, we'll be able to move forward then because I have gotten so comfortable, you know, with the platform. But, right. uh, yeah, I know uh, you said a lot of people are getting comfortable, more comfortable with it, but there are still some people lagging. You know, how can, how can hiring managers um, become even more comfortable in a virtual environment? What do they need to do from, say, a, you know, a homework standpoint, pre-work, you know, pre-study? What else can they do leaning on the recruiter to get more information right. up front? So that's really the key to it. You know, Studying a resume in advance and so you're comfortable, you're not just, you're prepared. That makes a difference because the, the candidate on the other end is ready to answer questions and they've probably had multiple interviews mm -hmm. on, online already. So I would say that being comfortable, being comfortable with what you're, what you're asking, being comfortable with the technology, you have to, it's, you, it takes a little bit of time to be comfortable with the technology and, and being willing to ask probing questions again and again because what what like what you miss here is the you know is the body language of sitting with a cup of coffee like is the candidate's arms and feet shaking when he's talking to you mm -hmm. we can't really tell that here but you know if you ask the same questions again and again or a couple times in a different way you know you you begin to get a sense of the candidate so i think that interviewers need to be willing to uh, be a little more probing on questions and they need to not leave, they need to not leave unanswered things out. And, and I think they also, 
you know, look at what's there versus what you wouldn't see. So like you're in your natural environment now. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the candidates are more comfortable in their natural environments and they might actually be more forthcoming because they're in their natural environment. I asked one of my, another one of my partners today, like, do you think it's a better thing or a worse thing for the recruit, for the, uh, for virtual? And he said, you know, I get more out of a virtual interview because the candidate is in their relaxed state. Hmm. So it's sort of interesting. Hadn't thought about that. That is interesting. You know, another thing I was just thinking about with utilizing virtual, you know, I know in the past, you know, whenever you would post, say, a CEO position, you would get, you know, just voluminous numbers of resumes. And you, you would go through those, read those, and, and you know, use whatever you do to, to sort those out and then narrow it down to, you know, uh, that pool of, of initial screening interviews that you do. Now, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I would think now in a virtual environment, you could actually screen more candidates on a broader geographic scale and really build up that, 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 uh, that next level pool for that, for that position. Well, that's actually true, uh, but it, you can really look at that either way, Kevin. You can say, well, like my process, I still go through interviews. I still pick people I want to see. Uh, I don't really spend a lot of time on people I don't want to interview because your time mm-hmm. is still at a premium because, you know, you're doing other things. So, uh, interestingly, the, bul- the, the number of people looking for a job hasn't really changed now that people are comfortable with the whole COVID thing. So your pool of candidates is not really any different than it was. It's just that you can access more people if you want to, if you want to. But I haven't found that the pre-interview process is all that, is, is all that different. Really? That's, that's really interesting. Huh. And yeah, you're, because, saying, you're saying you're not, you're not seeing more people looking for positions? Uh, no. So, so interestingly, A plus or A people are just as hard to find now as they were before. In our industry, as an example, mm-hmm. there hasn't been a lot of, a lot of layoffs in the, in the broader healthcare business. I might not say the same thing about retail or sure. finance or construction, but in, in, in high tech or in life, in life sciences, there has, there's not a lot of, of jobs that are not a lot of people looking any different than it was in COVID to tell you the truth. Interesting. Yeah. I'll be. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I've talked to some of my friends who unfortunately have been laid off, not only in healthcare, but in other industries. And they've gotten a little frustrated trying to navigate in a virtual world. I don't know if they're, it's because they're older or whatever, but, <laughs> but how can you help that candidate stand out uh, in the, in the recruitment process? Well, I would start, honestly, I would go back a step. The resume makes a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a lot of resumes and there's a, there are new formats and styles that sort of jump out with, you know, words at one side and, and a color. And I would start one step back from the interview and I'd say, look at your resume and see how that can stand out, like in the old fashioned way. And the other thing is your, your LinkedIn profile because we search through the LinkedIn thing. Yeah. That LinkedIn profile is important. And when it doesn't have anything in it, you sometimes don't get, you sometimes don't get, uh, 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 you don't get approached. And when you're doing your virtual interview, 
there are just some things you sh I think that turn off recruiters. Like if you talk all the time and don't stop for a pause, that pisses people off. Of course. You know, you know that makes it feel like you're not, you're not valuing what they have to say. Um, I think that if you answer questions in an evasive way, that doesn't help either. Mm -hmm. uh, also, you know, I think it's important, like you and I are well lighted right now. You know, I can sure. see you. Sometimes people are sitting in a room and like it's totally dark and you have to spend like five minutes saying, I can't really see you. Can we, can we do something about, do something yeah. about that? You know, it, it pays to invest in, a, in an HD camera. I, we found out that here at the hospital. You know, it's been very helpful. Yeah, and you know, I, I just got this because, you know, if, okay. you, if you just, if you use the computer's uh, microphone, the, the sound quality is not as good and people have trouble, have trouble hearing. But, you know, I think that, I think that, you know, candidates need to understand that, that, that their, what they say and their presentation, you know, needs to be crisp because sometimes you lose a little bit, you need to be crisp. Uh, and I just think you have to just be at least as prepared as you were before. Okay. Have examples, just like, just like before. Okay, I've got to ask, you and I just connected on LinkedIn today. Yeah. How does my profile look? Well, interestingly, Kevin, because I looked at your profile before, because I wanted to check, I wanted to check, you know, I want well, to check. I appreciate that, and I looked I wanted, at yours too. Yeah, I wanted to be, I wanted to be prepared. So I was prepared. So it looked, you know, I wasn't looking for the beauty of it and the graphics of it. I just wanted to see what you'd done before. Because, you know, remember that nobody reads. Mm -hmm. So like these quick little bullets on your resume and, and on the, the LinkedIn profile are very important because nobody reads. And so I'm looking for words. I wanted to know like what your industry was, you know, what you had done, you know, where you were. So I got all that really quickly uh, from, from sort of the short, the short snippets on your resume. Well, good. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's good for candidates. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't write a long LinkedIn profile expecting people to read it because they won't. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I know I'm that way whenever I get, you know, a resume unsolicited, if it's more than, you know, I'll give people who've been in their careers, you know, as long as I have 30 plus years, I'll give them two pages, but anything after two, I'm, I'm done. Oh yeah. So same with me. You know, I, I scan a resume and I'm looking for, you know, two or three things. If I don't see it, if I don't see it, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so let's get kind of generic. What do you look for in a resume? I know it's based upon each position, but give, give me an example. Give, give the, uh, the listeners an example. I'll give an example of, so, so you've done business development before. Correct. So if, if I'm doing, if I'm looking for a business development person, I'm looking for uh, specific information on how many deals, what kind of deals. I'm looking for specificity. I'm mm -hmm. looking for details. What kind of deals? Were you the front person? Were you the back person? Did you source the deal? Uh, what was your role? And I'm looking for. I'm looking for how have you done that in per, in in various companies? And if you move quickly from company to company, and you're in BD, I'm worried. 
because sometimes if you're not there long enough, you really can't see if your deals come to fruition and what the quality of them is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I like details. I like numbers. I like, I like results. Like people that have, have resumes that have accomplishments. Mm -hmm. I like that because I ask about accomplishments on my virtual interview. And that's the way I try to get specific. If you can't tell me something substantive that you've done off the top of your head, you know, you obviously haven't prepared or maybe you don't have anything to add and maybe I'm moving on. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. So, you know, what, where do you see different aspects of healthcare, life sciences, pharma? What are some new, new areas that say maybe new grads or early careerists could look at and say, hey, this is, this is an aspect of the industry five, 10, 15 years down the road that's going to be very, very hot. So at the top of my list, telehealth mm -hmm. and, digital, and digital medicine. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the whole COVID thing is creating a tremendous new world in telemedicine, which used to be sort of looked down upon, you know, how can the doc or the therapist prop get anything? How can I get anything out of that person? Uh, when, uh, when it's just a TV screen or just a, a monitor. But it's remarkable what COVID has done to that. My, my adult daughter with two children, she would rather talk to the doc through telehealth than she doesn't have to schlep the doc, the kids to the yeah. hospital, to the doctor. And she can get it done quickly and she probably gets just as much. Um, so, you know, the telehealth thing, and it's, you know, the telehealth spans so many practice areas, you know, whether it's women's health, men's health, cardiology, it's, it's going to just explode. I mean, it already has. And then the whole digital health area with, uh, you know, with uh, brand pharmaceuticals, you know, and advertising and social media and that whole interspace there, that is going to get even bigger than it is now. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with you. Um, right. 20 years ago, whenever I was at a hospital in Nebraska, we had, we were the largest rural telemedicine network in the country. And mm. because we were in outstate Nebraska, and yeah. we had, you know, a, a huge number of specialists there in our town. But many of our patients were two, 300 miles away. Yeah. And so we utilized that incredibly well. And then whenever I left there, went to Louisiana, and then ultimately got back to Texas, um, just didn't find it. And, and I know the, the, the market was a little bit more compressed geographically, but you know, you get into West Texas, there's not many physicians out there anyway. And so, you know, Texas, like, as you said, COVID has really pushed many states, Texas being probably number one into the telehealth space. Uh, yeah. Our rehabilitation folks report to me and, and now under COVID, the ability for them to see patients virtually has been just tremendous. Because if you think about it, you know, whenever you go see a physical therapist, that first visit, it's got to be in person because they've got to do the evaluation. But after right. that, you know, they're monitoring you, doing stretching exercises or whatever. And not every time do you need to come in. And so I'm <laughs> really, I'm glad that, that the state has been a lot more welcoming to that, but also managed care providers and Medicare as well. 
Oh yeah, so well, that, and that's a and that's a key and that's a key piece of it. The reimbursement yeah. for telehealth is really important. The other thing, by the way, it might be a surprise is so what else is what else is strong? Supply chain in all areas of life sciences. I think that's another thing we've learned from COVID. Whether it's in, I guess the new expression is insuring, insuring. Um, manufacturing and the supply chain and API, that is a big area that, that is going to be impacted by the government also. So all that whole supply chain, Accenture kinds of stuff, that is, that is also an area that's, gonna, <clears throat> that's going to become more important, let's put it that way. <clears throat> no, I totally agree with that. You know, I always, I always spend a lot of time with my, with my supply chain folks, but never so much as I have this year. You know, particularly early on, trying to make sure that we we had enough PPE for everybody and, and you know, backfilling and, and stockpiling some of the things that we saw that we might need down the road. Uh, you know, we've gotten to be really close friends now. And so I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't think about, you know, they start thinking about supply chain. What is that? You know, purchasing, acquisition, all that. And they don't see that as being, they don't see that as being as important as they should. You know, uh, right. students coming out of out of universities. Yeah, you know, I like to see that whenever they're interested in supply chain, I think, okay, they've really put some thought into this because that's kind of a nebulous area that that doesn't come to mind first and foremost whenever somebody's talking about healthcare. Right, because and it's not sexy. You know, no, it doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't develop new products that save lives. But but that's just another lesson from COVID. That we that we've all that we've all learned how important and fragile our supply chain is. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Oliver, uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Oliver Esman, managing partner with Strawn Arnold and Associates. If you're looking to place some people, if you're a good candidate, get a hold of Oliver on LinkedIn. I bet he probably uh, hates me saying that, but maybe not. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't hate do, you saying that. We'll, we'll do what we can for you, Oliver. Okay. But, uh, with that, uh, thanks again uh, for being with us here on I Don't Care. Uh, you know, I, as I said earlier, I'm thankful for, for the listeners uh, who, who continue to tune in. Uh, make sure that you uh, check us out on Spotify and iTunes if you can't catch us quote unquote live on Friday mornings at 930 Central. Uh, pretty soon thereafter, it drops to Spotify and, and iTunes. So if you haven't subscribed to those feeds, why not? So with that, uh, have a great Thanksgiving week and take care and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you.